Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. I want to speak to us this morning from this subject, the heart of a disciple. The heart of a disciple. The Bible says we ought to guard our heart because out of our heart flows all of the issues of life, that our heart is incredibly important. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, Elise was preaching about, we know the importance of good heart health. I'm of Greek descent. Most of us die from heart conditions, right? That's because we eat lots of fatty and oily foods. And, uh, but, but we understand the importance, right, of good heart health when it comes to our physical heart. But, but how much more than on, in a spiritual way for the heart health spiritually for our heart? So I want to speak to us this morning on the subject, the heart of a disciple. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story about two different men who both went to church and both prayed. One left changed and the other left unchanged. They both went to church, they both prayed, but only one left changed. And so the question that Jesus is leading us towards is, is what was the difference Because they both did the same thing and yet for an entirely different outcome. Luke chapter 18 and verse 10 is where Jesus tells the story. This is what the Bible says. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you, this man, Jesus said, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Your discipleship is more connected to your posture than your practice. Both men went to church, both men prayed, only one left changed. You could put it this way, your discipleship is more connected to your heart than even your habits. And so when it comes to the heart of a disciple, what Jesus is pointing out is that that our posture, more important than our practice. That our heart, even more important than the habits of our life. Since both men went to church, that seems like a good habit to have. And both men prayed, that seems like a good practice to be able to have. And yet only one left different. Because discipleship is not about what you do. Discipleship is actually focused on who you are becoming. And so I want to ask us the question this morning, what does the posture of your heart say about the person that you and I are becoming? the heart of a disciple. And so I want to take this passage and maybe make four observations for us about the kind of heart that invites, that inclines itself towards being discipled. Here's the first one. It's simplicity. That simplicity is the heart posture of a person who wants to be discipled. You can have a complicated heart or you can have a simple heart and there's a massive difference between the two. This is the point in the sermon where you just look straight ahead, don't look sideways. Definitely don't look at your spouse. But you and I have met people, right, who are complicated. They've got complicated hearts. They're a bit prickly. They're a bit tricky to be able to interact with, right? Because just everything that they touch just seems to become more complicated. And yet there are other people who come with a simple heart. Simplicity is the heart posture of a person who wants to be discipled. 
One man came with a very complicated heart. The Pharisee came and he said, I'm glad that I'm better than this person and that person and the other person and that I fast and that I tithe. That his heart was quite complicated because he was focused on what was wrong about everybody else and what was right about himself. I know you've never met a person like that. But if you go on Facebook to the comments section, you'll meet a few people who are like that, who are focused on what's wrong about everybody else and what's right about themselves. The Pharisee held that kind of attitude. But whereas the other man, the tax collector, he came with a very simple request, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Can you see the difference? The heart posture of a person who wants to be discipled is the heart posture of a person who comes with simplicity of heart. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus encourages us to be childlike. Matthew 18 verses 1 to 4, this is what the Bible says. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Can you hear how complicated this question is, right? You can almost hear where it's coming from. Who then, Jesus, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In verse 2, Jesus kind of looks around and this is what he does. He, he, he called a a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That that Jesus encouraged, actually, if you want to be great, become childlike. What is it about childlikeness that's so appealing to God? There's an innocence to childlikeness. There's a purity to childlikeness, isn't there? There's a sense of wonder that a child has. But before life has complicated their heart, that there is a simplicity to the heart of a child. Notice Jesus says for us to become childlike, not childish. There's a difference. Jesus encourages us to become childlike, not naive. Jesus encourages us to become childlike. Childlike is not about an age. Childlikeness is actually about an attitude. And so being childlike is the posture of keeping your heart simple. It's keeping your heart full of wonder, which sounds like it should be the easier of the two things, but actually it's easy for your heart to become complicated. It's much harder for your heart to become simple. Steve Jobs, who famously made Apple simple for people, right? Said simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. He was pointing out that for Apple, making things simple became the hardest work they ever did. It required the the greatest attention to detail. It's easy to make things complicated. It's easy to be able to make things complex. It's easy to make things cluttered, But, but it takes some real genius to be able to make things simple for people. And so Steve Jobs pointed out that for Apple, simplicity was the ultimate form of sophistication. And Jesus likewise says to us that actually childlikeness, the simplicity of heart, is actually the heart posture of a person who wants to be discipled. Notice that Jesus never insisted for children to become like adults. But he did insist that adults become like children. Jesus never said, if you want to be my disciple, then you have to become a bit cynical. If you want to be my disciple, then you need to watch a few documentaries about mistakes that churches have made. 
If you want to be my disciple, then you've got to become a little bit skeptical of others. If you want to be my disciple, then you've got to let life knock you a few times until you become hard of heart. Jesus never said that. Jesus never insisted that children become like adults, but he did insist, hey, if you want to be great in the kingdom, actually, adults, you could take a few cues from children. Why? Because there's a simplicity and a purity and an innocence of heart that children have. Why is that important? Because the kingdom of God seems like foolishness to those who are wise in their own eyes. That for the Pharisee who's wise in his own eyes, everybody else is wrong, but he is right. In his own eyes, there is no one more wise than him. For him, the kingdom of God becomes a difficult thing to swallow. Why? Because the kingdom of God seems like foolishness to those who are wise in their own eyes. In the kingdom of God, if you want to receive, you've got to give. If you want to lead, you've got to serve. If you want to be exalted, you've got to be humbled. And so you can start to see that the kingdom of God seems like foolishness when we see ourselves as being wise in our own eyes. And so keeping a heart with all, keeping a simple heart with all diligence is the posture of a person who wants to be discipled. Not a heart that's been twisted by circumstances. Not a heart that's been hurt by, by past mistakes. Not a heart that's become critical or, or cynical or, or complicated. No, no, no. A simple heart. Keep a simple heart with all diligence because a simple heart is a heart posture that invites discipleship. Here's the second one. Vulnerability. Vulnerability is the heart posture of a person who wants to be discipled. We give a lot of airtime to, to the word authenticity. And authenticity means that I'm not pretending to be you. And that's good, but, but authenticity means I'm not pretending to be you, but it does not mean that I'm showing you who I really am. Vulnerability is so much more important even than authenticity. Because you can be authentic and still be wrong. You can be authentic and still not be willing to change. You can be authentic and still be wounded. But vulnerability invites a relationship where change can actually occur. It's gotten very quiet today in this little Baptist church. And I understand why, because this applies to all of us, myself included. To keep our hearts simple, to keep our heart vulnerable and invite discipleship. Here's why vulnerability is so important to the person who, who invites discipleship. Because God can only heal what you are willing to reveal. That's true. If you go to the doctor with a tumor, but you're complaining about a cut on your finger, you'll leave with a Band-Aid and not a chemo treatment. Vulnerability points out what, what actually is going on, not the thing you're distracted about that's going on. And so if you only reveal the cut finger, then you'll get the Band-Aid, because that's what was revealed. But the thing you actually needed to reveal was the tumor, that, that massive big lump that's growing. That's the real thing that's going on. God will heal what you reveal. And here's the truth, and this is why this is challenging. Because the longer you've been in church, the harder that is to do. Come on, some of us have been in church for a little while. The longer you've been in church, the harder that is to do. Vulnerability becomes harder the longer you've been in church because you start to think, I've been a Christian for too long to still be struggling with these same issues. And so we either hide them or disguise them. 
But we start disguising things in our own lives just by giving them new names. We don't call them addictions, we just call them weaknesses. We don't call them unbelief, we just say it's caution. I'm just a cautious person. We don't call it negativity, we just call it I'm just being real. We start giving it other names. And so we say things like, well, I just have a strong personality. No, you struggle submitting to authority. Well, that really, the Holy Spirit used that one there. <laughs> so we say things like, I'm an intensely passionate person. No, you have an anger problem, right? Well, you know, I, I just speak my mind. No, you've not learned to tame your tongue. I just need a safe place to share. No, you struggle with gossip. And the safe place you're looking for is one where you're not challenged by anyone. Just going to step away from that point just for a minute. And so we either we rename the areas of struggle in our life or we just completely ignore them. But the truth is to maintain a simple heart actually is harder over time, not easier. To maintain a heart that's inclined towards being vulnerable before God and entrusted relationships with others actually is harder over time because we start to convince ourselves, I'm too saved to struggle. But the truth is, we convince ourselves we're too safe to struggle, but, but just call it what it is. None of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. All of us have got areas in our life and parts of our character that we need God's help and, and others to be able to help shape. And so the posture of a person whose heart wants to be discipled is a heart that's simple, not complicated. A heart that's vulnerable, not guarded. Notice the Pharisee was standing on his own. In the story that Jesus told, in verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Notice that there was no relationship in his life where he could be vulnerable. He'd become so guarded in his life that there's actually no relationships left for him. He finds himself standing all by himself. Even when he prayed, he's focused on what's wrong about others and what's right about himself. Remember, Jesus is telling us a story about two men who both went to church and they both prayed, but only one of them left changed. The scripture says the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. He's doing so well. I mean, compared to everybody else, he's basically perfect. And on top of his perfection, he fasts twice a week and he ties. He's doing so well, he actually doesn't need God. He's doing so well, he doesn't need any relationships in his life. But to maintain a heart that's simple, to maintain a heart that's vulnerable, vulnerability is the heart posture of a person who wants to be discipled. Why? Because God will heal what you and I are willing to reveal. There's an interesting interaction that Jesus has with a man who has a crippled hand in Mark chapter 3. That this man has, has one crippled hand. It's not both hands are crippled. It's just one hand that's crippled. And Jesus comes to him and asks him to stretch out his hand. And what's interesting to me in this interaction in Mark chapter 3 is Jesus never specifies which hand he's supposed to stretch out. That Jesus comes to this man who's got a withered hand and, and he says to him to stretch out his hand, but he doesn't specify. That this is a man who spent most of his life trying to hide the crippled nature of one of his hands, and only ever showing the hand that's strong. You know, in the TV series MASH, 
And the guy Radar, did you know this fact? The guy Radar actually had one hand that was crippled. You never notice it in the show because in the show he's always holding a clipboard so that he can disguise the hand that's weak and only ever show the hand that's strong. And so for many, many seasons, many people never realized that actually this was the case for this, this actor. And this guy similarly in Mark chapter 3 has done the same thing for his entire life. He has hidden his weak hand and always shown his strong hand so that he didn't invite conversations or questions that were awkward. And now he meets Jesus and Jesus sort of gets straight to the point and says, stretch out your hand. And I can imagine, right, because this guy's a person like us, where for a brief moment he thinks to himself, which hand am I going to show? Because Jesus didn't specify which hand. And so there's a lot of people standing around here, and this could be a really awkward moment. And I've become pretty good at disguising this hand. I mean, I've got a clipboard in every color for every day of the week. And so Jesus says, stretch out his hand. And for a brief moment, perhaps he thought, I'll stretch out my good one. If he had stretched out his good hand, his strong hand, he would have left in exactly the same condition. Instead, what he did is he stretched out his weak hand. And in the moment he stretched it out, he was healed. Mark chapter 3 and verse 5, Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Why? Because God will heal what you're willing to reveal. If you call it what it is and you keep a vulnerable heart that invites correction, then God will meet you where you're at. Here's the third one. Simplicity, vulnerability. Number three, expectancy. Expectancy is the heart posture of a person who wants to be discipled. That the Pharisee was praying a prayer that God could not answer. Do you know there are some prayers that you pray that God can't answer? Because you're actually not asking him any questions. Listen to his prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. He's praying a prayer that God can't answer. He's not asking God to do anything because he has no expectation for God to do anything. And you and I can do the same thing. We can pray prayers that actually sound more like sermons than they do like prayers. Come on, we've all done this. We pray prayers that sound like sermons where we're telling God a whole list of things. We're not asking anything of God. There's no real expectation or faith in what we're praying. We're just listing him out like a news report of all the things that are going on. That they sound a little more like sermons. Come on, you and I have been in prayer meetings that have been like that. Either on our own, just before God, where we're explaining to God what he ought to be doing. And if we were God, what we would do in his place. Come on, some of us have been in prayer meetings with other people and you've thought, is that a prayer? Is that a sermon? I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure what that is. For the Pharisee, he's praying a prayer that God can't answer. His prayer sounds a little more like a sermon from his soapbox than it does like a prayer from his knees. Why is it that he's not asking God to do anything? Because he has no expectation for God to do anything. He doesn't see any need for God to do anything. In in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, the Bible says this. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those that earnestly seek him. It's faith that pleases God. It's faith that moves God. And faith is always first expressed as an expectation. And so if God was to come to you this morning at the end of this service and say, what is it 
that you really want? What would your answer, what would your expectation of a good God be? But what's your expectation? Again, this is one of those things that actually becomes harder the longer you're in church. Why? Because familiarity will always kill expectation. The longer you've been in church, the more that this is true. I mean, when you come on a Sunday morning, what level of expectation are you bringing before you get here? Are you here and ready to say, God, today, speak to me. I want to hear you. God, today, begin to correct my heart. God, today, begin to raise the level of faith and hope in my heart. God, today, I want to experience your presence. When you come into the service, I've got to be honest, the more services you've been in, the more routine it becomes. One of the most refreshing things as a pastor is to talk to somebody who's brand new to church. Because their perspective is so enlightening. You say, well, is this what you expected? No, this is not what I expected. I expected that no one was allowed to laugh, and you guys kept on making jokes the whole time. I expected there to be a whole lot of people that didn't talk to me, but everybody came up and they talked to me. You talk to somebody who's recently put their faith in Jesus. And those conversations are some of the most richest conversations, right? When you talk to somebody who's recently put their faith in Jesus, why? Because they've got an expectation and an excitement. They don't know anything really, but, but they just know that God's good and they know that something's changed in them. And, and, and some of their friends who haven't come along to church yet, they're like, something's different about you. And they're like, yep, and I don't even know exactly how he did that. But it was kind of, it just God is, there's an expectation. Contrast that with the fact that when you've been in church for a little while, you're like, oh, I know how this works. Four songs, then a message, smile at the end and leave. Why? Because familiarity will always kill expectation. Come on, as a pastor, the altar call, that's for the congregation. No, the, the altar call is for people. One of the things that for Elise and I have, has become a, a part of our convictions is that, there, that we would never be in a place in our life where we would not answer an altar call that we needed to, regardless of who was there. Why? Because it actually takes being deliberate to keep your heart simple. It takes being deliberate to keep your heart vulnerable. It takes being deliberate to keep your heart full of expectation for what God will do. Notice, even for Jesus, the one place where he could not do many miracles was in his hometown. Why? Because in his hometown, they said, hey, this is Jesus. Isn't that Mary and Joseph's son? Doesn't he have some brothers and sisters around here? Matthew 13, verse 57. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Why? Because they said, we know this Jesus guy. They'd become familiar. And because of their familiarity, nothing had changed about Jesus, but everything had changed about their expectation. If familiarity kills expectancy, then faith is the thing that fuels expectancy. Think about Mark chapter 10 and blind Bartimaeus. This is how the story goes in verse 46 of Mark 10. Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, listen to this, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, to him, and said call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. 
Notice what Jesus asked in verse 51. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. Well, it would seem like it's kind of obvious what blind Bartimaeus would want Jesus to do, and yet Jesus asks him anyway. Why? Because Jesus is creating an opportunity for Bartimaeus to be able to express his faith through expectation. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Notice that when he heard that it was Jesus, he did not quieten his voice. He began to raise his voice. He didn't get quieter about it. He didn't become more mature about it. He wasn't considering what Jesus was doing and waiting what the worship leader would... No, when he realized that it was Jesus, he began to lift his voice, right? He wasn't waiting for anybody else to encourage him in worship. There was no pastor got up after the first song. There was no worship leader saying, come on, come on this morning, let's enter it. He didn't need anybody. In fact, everyone was trying to tell him to be more quiet, not, not, not blind by Emmaus. He realized this is Jesus, and I've got an expectation of a good God, and I don't care what the rest of you are doing. I am lifting my voice because I know that if I can get God's attention, then something might happen for me today. Man, to have a church full of people like that, who've got faith in their heart to say, I don't care what anyone else is doing. I'm going after God. I don't care what anyone, I don't care if anybody else is looking on. My heart's desire is to see God do a miracle in my life. My heart's desire is to see God do miracles in people's lives. And so I'm not coming out of routine. I'm not folding my arms and waiting for a show. No, no. I'm coming with a faith and an expectation of a good God to do good things in my life and in others. And so when he heard that it was Jesus, he lifted his voice. He didn't get quiet. And when he heard that it was Jesus that was calling him, notice he threw off his beggar's coat. It's interesting that Mark places that in there. It seems like an incidental detail that, that Bartimaeus threw off his coat. Why was it that, that Mark wants us to know that when Bartimaeus knew that Jesus was calling him, he threw off his coat? Why? Because he had worn that coat for many, many years. It was his beggar's cloak. It was the cloak that he put on so that everybody could identify him as a beggar. It was a common practice. And so everybody knew him by his cloak. His cloak represented his livelihood. His livelihood was begging because he was blind. But when he realized that it was Jesus who was calling him, he said, I don't need to identify with this past condition any longer. I can throw this off. It used to be that I was an alcoholic. But Jesus is calling me. I can throw that off. It used to be that, that my teachers and my parents said that, that I was a mistake. But it's Jesus who's calling me. So I can throw that old coat off because I don't identify by those old patterns of my life. There was a time in blind Bartimaeus' life that he was known as blind Bartimaeus. That's how he's introduced. His name was defined by his condition. After he'd met Jesus, they just called him Bartimaeus because there was nothing else to identify him by because God had healed the area of his life that had become the identifying factor of his life. And so Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Because he is creating an opportunity for Bartimaeus to begin to express his expectation of a good God. Imagine if Bartimaeus had said, well, actually, I've been begging here and it's been a bit of a slow week. I was actually hoping for a few more quid. Perhaps Jesus would have thrown something in his bowl. Imagine if he'd said, well, you know, like, it's quite lonely and um, all of my friends, they've, they've got um, relationships, but, but I've never gotten married because I'm, I'm a beggar and um, I just, I'm a bit lonely. God could have said, well, actually, I'll... I'll put you on matchmaking.com and we'll help you to... Interesting that Bartimaeus could have said anything. And yet Bartimaeus was willing to be vulnerable and say, do you know what the condition of my life is? It's defined my life and I don't want it to define my life any longer. 
I'm blind and I don't want to be. I'm blind and I know that you're a good God. So, so for whatever reason I've spent these last many years blind, God, would you heal me? God, would you make me whole? And notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, your faith has made you well. I don't remember Bartimaeus praying. In the story, Bartimaeus doesn't pray. I don't remember Bartimaeus worshipping. I don't remember Bartimaeus reciting the Torah. I don't remember Bartimaeus even going along to church. Bartimaeus doesn't tithe. What does Bartimaeus do? He lifts his voice. He throws off his cloak. And he asks to be made whole. And Jesus says, according to your faith. Faith is always first expressed as an expectation. Expectation is not about hype. Expectation is not about a style of worship. Expectation is not even about passion. Expectation is about faith. Without faith, Hebrew says, it's impossible to please God because God responds to faith that's always first expressed as an expectation. Here's the fourth and final one as the worship team comes back. It's humility. That the heart posture of a person who wants to be discipled is a heart posture of simplicity, vulnerability, expectancy, and finally, humility. In verse 14, Jesus says this. This is how he finishes the story. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Listen to what Jesus says. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Humility is, is the heart posture of a person who wants to be discipled. Humility to me is the most attractive quality in any person. Humility is both the prerequisite, right, for, for discipleship, but it's also the byproduct of discipleship. That where you find humility, you find God at work. Where you find humility, you find a heart ready to be discipled. That it's sort of like a prerequisite for discipleship, but it's also a byproduct of discipleship. Humility. It's the most attractive characteristic in any person. It's the most attractive characteristic in a spouse. It's the most attractive characteristic in a leader. It's the most attractive characteristic in an employee. I tell you, humility is the most attractive, the most attractive characteristic. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Sometimes in church, that's what we define humility as. And someone says, oh, you did a really good job. And we're like, oh, no, no, no. It's not me. It's the Lord. Well, actually, the Lord gave you those gifts. So you can just say thank you. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is actually not thinking of yourself at all. You can tell a person who's humble because almost none of the conversation is ever about them. It's actually a struggle to hear them talk about themselves. I was chatting to Noel yesterday. I was listening to a leadership podcast with a guy called Henry Cloud and another guy who actually got saved as a result of receiving a Gideon's Bible. His name's Craig Rochelle. Leads the largest attended church in America. And in the middle of the interview, Craig Rochelle is trying to get Henry Cloud to say that he's a great leader. Because evidently, Henry Cloud is. He wrote the book Boundaries, which many people will be familiar with. He ran 40 Christian psychology clinics in the US. So started with one and ended up with 40. Is a regular speaker at the Global Leadership Summit. And you can hear Craig trying to get Henry Cloud to say that he's a great leader. And Henry Cloud just won't say it. To which Craig Rochelle says, it's funny how... 
really great leaders, it's almost impossible to get them to ever admit it. Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great, and, and in a similar fashion. Notice that he went into all these companies and he said, what's the difference between companies that are good and companies that are great? And, and after a little while, he, he realized that the distinguishing factor is whenever he'd go into a really great company, he'd talk to the CEO and, and he could never get the CEO to say anything about themselves. They were always pointing out other people on their team and he realized what it was. What he's really defining is humility. That humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's actually just not thinking of yourself at all. When there's humility, it, it invites discipleship. Because I don't become precious. I don't become complicated. I don't become defensive or guarded. And no, no, when there's humility, it, it invites discipleship. You can tell humility from a mile off because humility is more focused on you than it is on itself. And so a proud heart will always resist discipleship, but a humble heart always invites discipleship. You know, when, you, when you're inviting people into your life, when you're looking for leaders in the local church, one of the things I always look for is humility because it's the most attractive quality. It's one of the things that, that is a regular prayer for me. God, help me to keep my heart humble. I think that's why God gave me Elise because I find that I'm not that self-aware, but Elise is very aware. If you'll invite relationships into your life and keep a humble heart, then there's no telling what God could do. In Luke chapter 18, verse 9, we realize why it is that Jesus is telling this story. Because he tells this story, and we start in verse 10, but in verse 9, this is actually where the story begins. Luke 18, verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Humility is the evidence of discipleship at work in a person's life. And so my encouragement to you and to me today is to have a heart posture that invites discipleship into our lives. Your discipleship is more connected to your posture than it is to the practices of your life. It's more connected to, to your heart than, than even to your habits. Since two men went to church and two men prayed, but only one left changed. Perhaps I could say this a different way. Your breakthrough in that area of your life that only you and God know about is more connected to the posture of your heart than to your practices. That breakthrough in that area of your life is more connected to your heart than even to your habits. Simplicity, vulnerability, expectancy, humility. Those are the characteristics of a heart that invites discipleship. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I'd love to pray for you today. You know, when um, Nike was trying to decide on a slogan that, that would sort of fit their brand, they landed on three words, just do it. You know, in some ways this morning, this message is not an opportunity for us to invite people forward for prayer. It's an opportunity for us to actually to, to go away and say, Lord, help me to do that. Help me to keep a heart posture that's simple, not complicated. Lord, help me today to keep a heart posture that's vulnerable, not guarded. God, help me today. Lord, Lord, to keep a heart posture that has an expectation of a good God. Not so familiar that I, I don't need God to do anything. God, God, help me today to keep a heart posture of humility, not of pride. Lord, help me to be able to do that. 
You know, if you'll do that, you'll find breakthrough, you'll find discipleship, you'll find relationship, you'll find God begins to work and mold because you've invited him to do so. Can I pray for you this morning? With every head bowed and every eye closed in this auditorium this morning, Holy Spirit, I ask you today, Lord, that you'd help us. God, that you'd help us to live that kind of life. The Lord, where our heart has become complicated. Holy Spirit, even right now, you begin to place your finger on different areas of our life. God, God, where we've become defensive. God, I pray that there'd become an openness. Lord, those walls would begin to break down. They'd become a vulnerability. Lord, before you, but maybe with some trusted relationships in our own life. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today. Lord, that, that by your Spirit, you begin to raise the level of faith even in our own hearts. That God, hope would begin to rise. That, that God, these services, Lord, on the weekend, God, would be a place where the tide begins to rise. We might walk in one way, but we wouldn't leave the same way that we arrived. That when the tide rises, the boats aren't trying to lift in the harbour. The tide lifts them all at the same time. Lord, in the same way, let there be a tide of faith that rises when we join together, when we worship God, when we exalt you, that Lord, in these services, God, it would feel like the tide is rising and expectation and faith would begin to rise in our own hearts. Lord, Lord, keep us in a place of humility, not of pride. God, focused on your goodness displayed in our lives, focused on serving others, less concerned about ourselves. Lord, help us to do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day and until next time, bless you.